Welcome to Chasing Three Hours, a podcast about what runners are chasing, why they keep pushing themselves, and what keeps them curious. I'm Josh Peterson. Today's interview is with Jason Salyer, fresh off his 2024 marathon at the Olympic Trials. We talk about the emotions of a DNF and why he didn't want the trials to be his last competitive race. Plus, his running journey overall, what he'll miss most when he takes a step back from competitive racing, and a whole lot more. Enjoy today's interview with Jason Salyer. Jason Salyer, welcome to Chasing Three Hours. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, as we'll discuss in a few minutes, you are you're staying off Strava. So as I begin every podcast, I always ask my guest about how their most recent run went. Usually I'm able to do a little cheating. I'm able to find what happened. Uh, I'm unable to find what your most recent run was because the, the only one that shows up is the race at the Olympic trials uh, as of this recording six days ago. How was your most recent run and when was that most recent run? Yeah, so the race was on Saturday. I did not run on Sunday because I was traveling. And then I ran 13 miles on Monday. Um, I actually had to travel for work this week. Um, so I have been running every day. Today I ran 10 miles. Tomorrow I will run 20 miles. Yeah, so just uh, easy running, no workouts. Um, I won't start workouts until next week. So you're throwing yourself right back into it. And it's interesting, uh, as you mentioned, we're, we're not that far removed from the, the trials. And when we scheduled this, I think it was a few days before it. And we said we'd reconnect afterwards. Um, and I wondered if we would be talking at this point in time, because in the immediacy of, of not finishing, you wrote on your Strava that you were done with competitive running. You'd still be running in the spring. You'd be volunteer coaching with high school. But you also added, it's a relief to not have to grind 100-mile weeks Month after month, I reach my potential. That's the reality. The return on investment isn't there for me anymore. The next day you wrote, I can't go out like that. I won't go out like that. So I normally don't start the conversation with such big, heavy topics, but I have to dive in with this stuff. Let's go through the, we can talk about the race certainly, but I want to go through the emotions first of finishing the feeling the next day and the decision of this cannot be the, the last race that I'm remembered for. Yeah, it, it has been a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I do tend to wear my emotions on my sleeves. When I when I did that post about um, wanting to kind of step away from competitive running, I meant it. I meant it, but I slept on it. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, the spring marathons are right around the corner. We're only talking like 10 to 12 weeks away. I'm in really good shape. So why not run another marathon or two? So Obviously, the race didn't go as planned. It, it's a bummer, but um, yeah. when I when I when I reflect on it, my training, I give myself an A. You know, I did do heat training. I did go to the sauna every single day for the three weeks leading up to the race. Um, but obviously, that didn't work. Um, going to a sauna cannot. I don't think it can replicate kind of the the sun exposure that I endured during the race. So. There were 228 men that qualified for the race. I don't think all 228 were on the starting line. I think that number is probably closer to maybe 210 runners on the starting line. Only 150 runners finished. So that means 60 or so runners dropped out of the race. And I would imagine a vast majority of them dropped out due to the heat. Now, mm -hmm. there were some people that were able to handle the heat very well, and I applaud them, and that's awesome, and I'm pumped for them. I couldn't handle the heat. That's the only variable that that 
to me in my mind was 100% the reason why I didn't do well and ultimately had to drop out at mile 17. I felt great going into the race. I felt fit. I felt confident. I had a strong mental game. You know, in, in hindsight, what I wish I would have done was live in Florida the month before the race, but I don't have the financial means to do that. And then my wife wouldn't be happy with that. And I'd miss my wife. Um, so for me, you know, being a normal guy with a normal job and running is just a passionate hobby of mine. I can't afford to live in Florida um, the month before the race. So I think for these spring marathons, if they're cool weather, I, I think that will be my opportunity to shine and show off the fitness that I've achieved. I wonder, you mentioned your wife. I wonder how she played a part in the next day mindset of, okay, come on, we're not we're not going to go out like this. Like, What did she mean to have you by your side throughout the feelings and emotions of, of Saturday and then into Sunday? Yeah, it meant a lot for my wife, Megan, to be there. So I had, what really stinks is, um, well, it's great and it stinks at the same time, is the fact that I had over 20 people make the trip uh, to, to Orlando. So that's family and friends. And um, yeah, it would have been a much cooler story if I had a good race, but you, you can't race your best in every race. So having lows like this makes the highs even better. But yeah, she... You know, she knows how passionate I am, and um, she's been supportive along this whole journey of mine. And uh, yeah, she she's given me the green light to go ahead to uh, see what I'm capable of this spring. You you see, so you mentioned you know going into the race, you feel like there there was you know no preparation that you could have done better outside of just got getting to plant down in Florida for a month and and really get used to that stuff. At, at what point inside of the trials? Do you realize like, okay, it, first of all, it's, it's not going to be the day that I was hoping for, but but it's suddenly teetering into, oh, no, this might have to be a DNF type day because a lot of those early miles outside of the the fifth one on your Strava, it's a lot of consistent paces in the 11, the 511s, even even dropping below that into the 517s. At what point are you realizing that this this might be getting into a different territory than I'd like? Yeah, so my qualifying race for the trials was California International Marathon. I ran 2.17 low there, so 5.14 pace. So everybody knew going into the race that it was going to be warm. Um, and, and so I knew, or at least my my uh, pacing strategy was, I knew getting a PR wasn't realistic. But I also thought to myself, well, my training's great. My fitness is great. I've done the heat training, so... You know, I don't need to slow down that much for this. I should be fine. So, I, yeah, I went out around 218 pace, maybe 515 average, you know, give or take a few seconds. And then I would say at mile 10, I was like, it, it just hit me all of a sudden. Um, it just hit me all of a sudden. Like my breathing was fine. My legs were fine. It just the heat exposure and the, 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 Sun exposure, it's just, it just completely zapped me of, of my energy. I hydrated extremely well before the race. Um, you know, t- maybe this is too much information, but my pee was crystal clear. <laughs> um, I hydrated during the race. So th- I, I think what the main reason why I'm not so down about it, like obviously I'm down, obviously it's a bummer and I'm disappointed, but I think the reason why I'm in relatively good spirits is because. I don't think there's anything I could have done differently. Now, my goal going into the race was top 100. Um, There's two guys that finished around 50th place. 
that I've beaten before on multiple occasions. Shout out to those guys for having the, you know, the race of their lives. Um, so 100th place was around 224 flat, just, just under 224. And so I went through maybe 10 miles at like 515 pace. And I went through the half at around 520 pace, give or take a few seconds. Um, but if I would have gone out at 224 pace, is there a chance that I could have finished the race and finished in the top 100? Maybe. But if I went out at 224 pace, I don't know this for a fact, but I think I would have been about dead last. And I don't know if my ego could have handled that. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because so uh, last year I ran uh, the Lincoln Marathon and and I was six-ish months, seven months after uh, following uh, my first ever sub three. And so going into that one, my goal was, you know, I want to see what I can do. Certainly 255 felt like it was in play given my training. And and I'm going to be a little conservative and and maybe push out after a a 250 if if I get the day that I, you know, was hoping for. And so I kind of went out in the middle of those. I was running 633s throughout the first half. and, And I knew that the sun was going to peak out. And the sun eventually did peak out, and and, and my my two fifty two pace uh, eventually turned into a three hundred three marathon. And in the moment, it was it, it 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 hurt my ego certainly a lot. I put in all that time, and it was the first time since COVID where I had not set a PR. Uh, come to find out, when the Boston uh, qualifying times and and all the applications, mm-hmm. I end up missing Boston by sixteen seconds. And so I say that long story to say if I and I've asked myself this a million times, if I go out at two fifty nine thirty pace which is what I would have needed. What happens to me in the back half? Because I melted down for going out you know, at a, a 252, 253-ish pace. I don't know the answer. There's a part of me that thinks, oh, I could have done it. But there's also a part of me that's like, I probably would have gone pretty bad because the, the second half of the marathon was going to go bad either way. So it seems like you're probably dealing with maybe some of those similar thoughts. Yeah, but I am. But you know, what it could have, should have, hindsight's twenty twenty. The for race sure. happened, life moves on. And... I think we as runners take ourselves a little too seriously. Yeah, people care about our running, but nobody cares about your running as much as you do. Like, um, yeah, I had an overwhelming amount of support. I didn't race yeah. well. Nobody cares. You know, I care, but no, nobody really cares. So, you know, at the end of the day, you try to learn as much as you can from the experience. It, you know, training for a marathon, I've never done an ultra marathon. I imagine it's the same thing for an ultra, but you know, it's tough when you have this whole cycle build up and you're in good shape and then you have this one opportunity to prove yourself. And there, you know, there's so many variables for success in marathon running. And then if, if it doesn't go your way, you're just left, you know, questioning yourself and, um, you know, trying to reflect and what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? But sometimes, there's nothing that you could have done better. Sometimes it just wasn't your day or the conditions just weren't conducive to running fast. For sure. And so I want to talk about then the what's next of it all, because one of the things and I, I hit on this in the in the open, but that you you mentioned on Strava um, that the, the next time you said that there will be one big difference this time around. I talk a big game and I haven't performed like I said I was going to in the last two marathons. So that's on me. So this time Around there will be no Strava. Talk and training is cheap. It's race day that matters. And I know I'm, I'm still in the best shape of my life. Was that like an easy decision to say like, 
you know, zero, like what does LeBron say? Zero dark 30 or whatever. Like the, I, I'm going to, I'm going to push everything to the side and I'm going to focus on me because, you know, I, I know that the community on Strava has been very welcoming. Obviously you got a lot of support for what happened on, on Saturday. I wonder if that's an easy decision or if you miss it, you know, not even a weekend. It is an easy decision for me. I, I have a lot of followers on Strava. I, I don't know exactly how many of it's, it's getting close to a thousand. Um, you know, I, I post a normal run. Um, I get 200 likes. So I, a lot of people have taken interest in my running. And I think part of the reason people take an interest in my running is because for the most part, I lay it all out there. I kind of started Strava kind of as my own personal diary. And I, I used to be a teacher. I used to be a language arts teacher. So I, I, I used to be a journalism major. So, you know, writing and expressing myself and communicating has always been something I've enjoyed. And I've been relatively good at. And so I think people, especially as I started to have more success, they have enjoyed kind of um, my training. I go into detail on my workouts. I say, this is the pace I ran. This is the rest duration for everything. Um, This is how I felt about the race. Here's my other thoughts about non-running related topics. (laughs) And it's kind of, you you know, you don't get, I'm not a pro, you know, I'm very, I'm a sub elite athlete. But you don't get that type of full access to top runners that, you know, some people feel maybe that they get from my Strava. Um, So, you know, knowing that a lot of people are paying attention to what I'm doing, there's a little bit of added extra pressure there. And I don't feel like I'm cocky. I feel like I'm I'm confident. I feel, you know, I put in the work. And so I'm confident that I'm going to perform at a high level. And so – I haven't performed well um, in the last two marathons going back to Columbus. So in in the fall, I won the Air Force Marathon for the second time. But for my ability level, that's not a very competitive marathon. Um, And then I ran the Columbus Marathon, which is the most competitive marathon in Ohio. And I think I ran – I think I shot myself in the foot by racing Air Force. And I think that made me tired um, for the more competitive marathon. So I think by me getting off of Strava, I kind of remove that additional pressure and, um, it allows me to just focus on training without any extra noise. Do you, do you think you're going to miss like the community or, or like, I don't, I don't know how much you enjoyed the validation, but are you, do you think you're going to miss that type of stuff? I'll come back eventually, you know, <laughs> you know, let's hopefully fingers crossed the training goes well. I stay injury free and, um, I have a good race in the spring and then I'll be back. And, uh, hopefully people will welcome me back with open arms. Have you decided what your spring race is going to be? I haven't. Uh, I like the idea. I started doing this recently. Um, I like the idea of signing up for multiple marathons. Um, and I know that could be pricey, but I like the idea of signing up for multiple marathons just to give yourself an out if it's going to be a crappy weather day. So I had, so last year, maybe it was the year before. Um, so I live in Ohio. I live in uh, the Dayton, Ohio area. So a lot of my running circle in the fall, they'll either do the Columbus marathon, um, or they'll do the Indianapolis marathon. And those two races are like two or three weeks apart. And, this one year, a lot of people decided to skip. Yeah, this was 2022. A lot of runners decided to skip the Columbus Marathon, which had perfect weather that day. Absolutely perfect. And then they 
ran the Indianapolis Marathon, which is supposed to be a, a flatter, faster course. And it, the weather was just garbage. So my new kind of approach is sign up for two marathons. If the weather's going to be really good for the first marathon, just do that. If the weather's going to be bad, then you have a second option. So I've signed up for – now, luckily, I've gotten free entries into these races, so I'm not spending any extra money. But I am choosing between the Toledo Glass City Marathon and the Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon and also the Cleveland Marathon. I might do two out of those three. Last uh, yeah, last spring, I set the course record at the Toledo Glass City Marathon and then came back two weeks later and won the Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon. So – there's pros and cons to all those races. Toledo offers prize money. It's the most competitive. So, um, and so yeah, Toledo offers prize money. It's the most competitive and it's the flattest course. So it offers the opportunity to run the fastest time. Cincinnati flying pig, it's more of a local race. So there's a lot of uh, local notoriety if you do well in the race. And it's one of the 10 largest participation marathons in the country. So like, it's not, the most competitive it is competitive it is competitive but it's not the most competitive race out there um but if you win the flying pig marathon like people know about it because everybody oh yeah everybody and their brothers done that race they do a really good job with that event and then cleveland um i've won uh i've won three or four ohio marathons and so i'm trying to see how many um ohio marathons i could win so that might be one that i do as well I wanted to read you one more thing that you wrote um, before we can kind of dive into your your running journey, uh, big picture. But but you said that I'm ready to be a, a more present husband, family member, and friend. And so now I, I wonder, and that was what you wrote on Saturday and then Sunday, and, and you kind of changed how you were going to view what was next. Uh, I wonder how you uh, wrestle those emotions of the day and wanting to be a more present person. And, and you know, I, you also had mentioned not running those 100-mile weeks with now the, the goals are still there. How, how do you balance those two things? Yeah, it's tough. And I think we'll probably get into this maybe the second half of the interview. But um, so I, I had a successful high school career. I had a mediocre college career. And then for a majority of my 20s, I did not run um, to my potential. Uh, running took a back seat. I did a career change. So I was more focused on going back to school, getting my master's degree, um, trying to get my life in order. And so it wasn't until my until I turned um, 29, 30 that I had some good work-life balance. I had established myself in my professional career that I had time to truly dedicate to running. And I felt like I hadn't reached my potential, hadn't come close to my potential. We can kind of get into that later. And so these last two and a half, three years, it's been running, running, running. Priority number one has been running. Priority number two has been running. Priority number three has been running. And so, you know, I do have a supportive wife and supportive family, but um, I'm just tired all the time. Like people yeah. ask me, hey, what are your hobbies? Like, what are you talking about? I run over 100 miles. I, I ran 4,700 miles in 2023. And, and that averages out to a half marathon a day, even when you account for days where I didn't run at all. Um, so I, I have a 40 hour a week job. I run a lot. I'm passionate about running and then I am just zapped. My, I have no energy the rest of the day and I do a lot of injury prevention. So the, 
the amount of injury prevention that I do and going to physical therapy and doing stuff on my own, it doesn't allow for much more time in the day to spend quality time with um, friends, family, and my wife. And so fortunately, those spring marathons are just right around the corner. So mm-hmm. I'll get through these next 12 weeks. I'll run those. Um, I was already going to be serving as a high school assistant track coach. I'll, I was already planning on being a high school assistant cross country coach this fall. So 2024 is my last year of competitive running at this level. And then I'm going to take a step back. I'm not going to quit running um, like I did in the past. We can get into that. So from July of 2020 to the June, yeah, from July of 2020 to June of 2021, a 12-month span, I did not run. I gained 35 pounds. So I'm not going to do anything like that. Um, but I just want to have more balance in my life. And, you know, I've had these conversations with my wife. Um, so 2024 will be my last year of competitive running. I'm 33 years old. I'll turn 34 in September and then maybe I'll get the itch to be competitive again. Once I'm a master's runner at 40. I'm curious, looking back to, you know, you mentioned all the big mileage that you just did in 2023. Um, obviously you're still doing big mileage right now. Like how much of this is competitive and how much of this is fun for you? You, you it's your it's your hobby. It's the one, two, and three. But have have there been like diminishing returns in 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 that idea of it being something that you still enjoy versus something that you're, you know, chasing after these big goals? Yeah, it's it's a 50-50 split, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's a 50-50 split. So I think what really drives me is I am obsessed with maximizing my potential. So I don't want to be 40, 45, and then reflect on my running career and wonder, you know, what if, what if you had really gone for it? Now I did go for it. I've had a lot of success. I've won races, I qualified to the trials. Um, I've bettered my college PRs. So at the age of 32, I set a lifetime personal best at the mile, the 5K, the 8K, 10K, the half, the fool. So that obsession with maximizing my potential has been what's fueling me. But yeah, there's plenty of days where I get up and I'm like, I don't want to run. Uh, this stinks. And um, but once you once you force yourself to to start, once you get through that first mile, then you never regret a run. But yeah, there's there's plenty of days where there's plenty of runs where I'm thinking mid run, like I hope this marathon goes really well because. I, I can't wait to be done grinding like I am on a weekend, like on a week and monthly basis. Yeah, because you just want you want the carrot at the end of the stick to be worth it. You want the reward to be worth all of the time that that you put in. Would you say that it has more often than not been worth it in the end, or or I guess maybe fresh off of what happened this past Saturday, is it harder to answer that question in the affirmative? Oh, it's it's for sure been worth it. Um, established so many good relationships with runners in the Dayton community and just Ohio community at large. Um, I feel like I have, if I haven't reached my potential, I've, I've come very close to it. Um, I, I feel like I have reached my potential. Maybe there's a possibility out there for me to run um, slightly faster. I don't know that those spring marathon courses will necessarily allow me to run a PR. You're not running a PR at the Cincinnati Flying Pig. Um, it is possible to run a PR at Toledo, but um, 
you know, I'll probably only have a handful of guys to run with. I won't have, you know, masses of runners to, to kind of pace off of. Sure. So, you know, there's different, um, definitions of success for those particular races. But yeah, I, I think that right now, currently sitting here talking to you, I'm in just as good of shape right now as I was in 2022 when I set my PR and qualified to the trials. So I want to, I usually go all the way back and say, you know, like, let's, let's go to the beginning. I want to ask instead, what brought you back to running a few years ago? Why, why did you come back to it? Yeah. So I touched on it a bit that again, that obsession for maximizing my potential. So I had a successful high school career, um, 1542 in the 5k third place at the state championship meet in Ohio at the division two level. And then in college, I had a mediocre college career. And I say mediocre because I, I was injury prone. I had a red shirt one year because of an injury. And because of these injuries, I was afraid of running high mileage. So I, I think the most miles I ran in college with workouts was like 70. I, I would run 80 miles or so, but I only ran 80 miles with no workouts. So with workouts, the most I was doing on a consistent basis was 70. And then, like I said, in my 20s, I was focused on a career change. I was focused on going back and getting my master's. So I was competitive at the local level, but I wasn't competitive at the regional level. Definitely not. The, I mean, I wasn't even... I would say right now I am a top regional runner or a low tier national runner. I wasn't anywhere close to that. So um, I think that obsession with um, reaching my potential. So I wanted to experiment with high mileage. So, you know, I've been able to achieve this level of success off 70, 80 miles a week. What can I do with consistent 100 miles a week? And then another part of it was uh, I had mentioned this briefly earlier um, I did start running about 80 miles a week pre pandemic and mm -hmm. I, and I saw success. So pre pandemic, when I was running 80 miles a week with workouts at this point, I got my marathon time down to the sub two thirty. and right before the pandemic, this was in February of 2020. Oh, geez. Right under the finish line. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The day before the trials. Yeah. The day before uh, the announcement of the pandemic. Um, I ran a half marathon in Greenville, South Carolina, and I ran a personal best time of one hour, eight minutes and 58 seconds. So we'll just call it one hour, nine minutes flat, which I was really happy with. And then I thought during that time, again, February of 2020, oh, I've reached my potential. You know, this is really cool. You know, what's next for me? Well, if you qualified to Boston, in, in you know you've broken 230 the only next logical major milestone is qualifying to the olympic trials and i i thought about it well what do i have to do to qualify to the trials oh well i had to take my half marathon pr run that and then i gotta do it again i was you gotta like, do oh. it twice yeah i was like that's not realistic like you know i'm a pretty confident guy but that's not realistic so and then all the races got um, canceled left and right. And so for 12 months from, again, July of 2020 through June of 2021, I stopped running. I gained 35 pounds. Now, some of that was muscle because I was going to the gym and lifting on a consistent basis. But a, a vast majority of it was just an unhealthy lifestyle. And so what kind of got me back and running again was 
my friends making fun of me and calling me a large individual, which I'm glad they did it. Um, I appreciate that they did that because that motivated me. Um, and I didn't look good. I wasn't happy with the way I looked. So what happened was I was living in Columbus at the time, Columbus, Ohio, and I had made the decision to move back to Dayton, Ohio, which is where I grew up. And the high school cross country coach, when he found out about this, he called me up and said, Hey, I heard you're moving back to the area. Would you be interested in coaching, helping out with the cross country team? I said, sure. But you know, I'm, I'm out of shape. Like I'm very out of shape. I'm the heaviest I've ever been in my life. And so I started running with the team during that summer and we had a time trial in the summer. And so I, I ran and participated in the time trial with the high school runners and I finished 10th on the team and I was embarrassed. <laughs> I was mad. I, I was mad. I was like, okay, by the end of this cross country season, I will be in good enough shape where I can pace our top runner. And that happened. And then I just kept that momentum going from there. I just started gradually increasing my mileage. And again, I was somewhat fearful of, am I going to get injured? Well, I started doing, I started educating myself on a bunch of injury prevention drills. I started getting physical therapy on a consistent basis. And I also developed the mindset was with, I developed a mindset where I said to myself, well, who cares if you get injured? You've already accomplished a lot running. Let's just try it out. Let's see what happens. If you get injured, you get injured. So 80 miles a week turned into 90 miles a week, turned into hundred miles a week, um, turned into, I think the highest I ever got was 130 miles a week. So I was just stacking 100 mile a week on top of 100 mile a week for long stretches of time. And my times and my PRs just melted away. I was dropping <laughs> times, you know, very fast. And I wasn't just plodding along running high mileage. I was running high quality workouts um, within this volume. So, you know, if I'm running a hundred miles a week, I'm a follower of that 80, 20 rule where yep. 20, about 20% of your mileage is at marathon pace or faster. So, and then with all the success, success breeds success. A PR makes you even more motivated to chase after another PR. So, um, yeah. That's awesome. I, I don't want to do the the typical, if you had one piece of advice to give, what would it be? But I, I, I have to imagine that in all of the injury prevention and all the things that you're doing, that maybe a couple of things really stand out to you and, and have allowed you to continually run that amount of, of that amount of miles. Is there, is there a few things that really stick with you? And it's like, I think that those things are a big reason why I've been able to continue to stack week after week like this. Yeah, I think, I think most serious runners have been exposed to the types of exercises that you can be doing. Now I, I don't go to the gym and do anything with weights. Everything that I do is body weight or bands, but I think wow. the best advice that I can give is, yeah, a lot of runners think, oh, well, I run so much and I got a busy life and so I'll be fine. I don't, I don't need to do this extra stuff. Um, but really, if you can just make it part of your routine, like if you can just implement 10 or 15 minutes a day. Um, so what I do is I do about 10 or 15 minutes a day of injury prevention um, and that's Monday through Friday. And then on the weekend, I'll dedicate an entire hour um, to injury prevention. Both days. Um, well, okay. So Monday through Friday. Okay. So no, not both days. So I would say five days a week, I'm doing about 15 minutes of injury prevention. That sixth day I'm doing an hour of injury prevention on my own. 
And then a seventh day, I'm actually going to a scheduled physical therapy appointment. Now, you know, I have the luxury of having my physical therapy for free. But um, if I were, if I had to pay for it myself, it would be $30 a visit. And so people are willing to buy $300 pairs of shoes. People are willing to spend $150 on registration. People are willing to go to Boston and spend thousands of dollars to run at Boston. Why not pay the money to take care of your body so that you can perform at your best? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. At, at what point then, as, 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 as you mentioned, these PRs are continuing to happen. Wh- when does the trials become something that not only that you would love to do, um, but that you think is suddenly a realistic goal? Because again, before the pandemic, you get a sub 230. Um, you, you, you run a half marathon that if you multiply it by two, that would qualify. But obviously, there's a long way to go after that. And by, by that point, and I mean, I've seen it in recent years. I know that my days of chopping off 30 minutes on marathons are long gone. I, I was able to knock off eight in, in this past October to get to a 251. And I was like, this is probably the biggest chunk I have left. So what, what, what does that picture look like for you as you come out of the pandemic, as you start running again, and as that goal maybe reenters your mind? Yeah, so January of 2022, again, this is after that cross-country season with yeah. the high schoolers. Um, I ran the Houston Marathon, which is, a, which is a fast course. If you haven't done Houston, I recommend that you do it. I, there's been so many records that have been set there. The women's half marathon record has been set there. The women's full marathon record has been set there. The American record, that is. And the still existing men's American half record set by Ryan Hall a long time ago. Years ago, yeah. It's still from there. Um, and actually, I think the women's the women's American record in the half has been set there like multiple times in the last three years. And it was just set there recently. Um, so I had a good race in Houston. I think yeah, I ran 225 high. We'll call it 226 flat. And so that was a race where I wanted to run in the mid. So again, I had run just under 230 prior to the pandemic. And so my goal going into Houston was to run mid 225, mid 220. So around 225, 226. And I executed it perfectly and felt really good about it. And then I think one way to really try to knock off a bunch of time is to train through a season where you don't run a marathon. So Houston is in January. And so for the spring, instead of me choosing to run a marathon, I chose to have my peak race be a half marathon. So what does that allow you to do? It allows you to run an all out effort, gauge your fitness, maybe chase a PR at a, at the half marathon um, distance but then your body's not completely wrecked. So you can just jump right into your next cycle without having to take all of this downtime. I think too many people that, you know, the marathon is king. The marathon gets all the glory. But what happens when you run marathon after marathon after marathon, every single cycle, every single build, like you have to kind of start from scratch for that next build, that next cycle. So by me um, purposefully choosing not to do a spring marathon in 22 I think that just allowed me to continue building that fitness and that consistency. And then I started, like I said, I started PRing at the shorter distances. So, you know, from a training perspective, I'm all about reverse linear periodization, which means at the beginning of the block, you're doing a lot of shorter speed stuff. And then 
as you progress through the training cycle, you start becoming more gradually marathon specific. So you might start out with mile race pace stuff and then 5k workouts and then 10k workouts and then half marathon workouts. And then, you know, the month or so leading up to the marathon, now you're doing marathon specific workouts. So I was PRing at every distance, which just gave me more and more and more confidence. And the first time where I truly believed that I had an opportunity to qualify the trials was inside of a workout. We were doing mile repeats. I don't remember the exact details of the workout. I want to say it was like six by mile, but we had to, we had a generous amount of rest. I want to say three minutes, which was pretty generous rest. But I ripped like a 430 mile, 430, 435 miles, somewhere in there on the last rep. Uh, and then I finished that rep and I was screaming. It's like, I'm going to the trials. I didn't, I didn't feel like that. I was screaming and I might've had a couple of choice words in there as well. Um, but the race that said, yeah, you can qualify. I ran a big 10 K PR. And then a couple of weeks later ran a big half marathon PR in Columbus. I ran one hour and four minutes and 30 seconds, which if you plug that into a conversion calculator, that says that I have the ability to run a 215 flat marathon, which I obviously haven't done yet. I do think I'm stronger suited for the half marathon, um, but it, it does make me believe that I still have some untapped potential at the full. Does you get to this point where, and, and you said this earlier too, when you ran that first sub 230, you know, for, for someone like us, an amateur, you know, we have all these big numbers, right? It can be as high as a breaking a five or a four. Obviously, three has a whole lot, hence the name of the pod. Yeah. Um, and then and then after that, I mean, like, yes, I want to break 250, 245. But 230 is kind of like this last, like, wall. Because after that, like, yeah, a 227 is cool. A 225 is cool. But, I mean, come on. Well, I think Peter Bromka has said it. It's like, you don't go to CIM to run a 221. Like, that's not what people do. Is it scary to get to that point where, you know, like, You'll be happy with a PR, assuredly, but there's only like one real PR that you're ultimately talking about when you get into that level. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. You said it very well. Yeah, once you so breaking two thirty is kind of like that amateur glory. Like you've you've arrived. Yeah, and again, yeah, th- breaking three hours huge deal, and then every ten minute um, barrier below that big deal. Um, but like. You're like kind of like a local legend of sorts if you can break that 230 um, barrier. And so that was a big milestone for me. I was pumped about that. Um, and then you start getting into the mid-220s. And yeah, there's only one time um, to chase. And so, you know, you go for it and it might seem like a stretch. It might seem like an unrealistic, super lofty goal. But you go for it because you have no choice but to go for it. Like, you know, if you run a 225, like, oh, I'm only going to try to run a 224 the next marathon. No, you're going to try to break 220. You're going to try to inch your way closer to that 218. Um, if I had to guess, the next, in 2028, the standard for men will probably be go under 217, if I had to guess. It'll probably stay the same for women at 237. So you just go all in. You just take all of the chips and you put them in the center of the table and you go for broke. That's the only way to do it. 
You mentioned the uh, the half marathon PR then that that would be equivalent to a two fifteen, and that was in twenty twenty two. So as that year goes on, and you mentioned this earlier, it's it's the twenty twenty two CIM. That's when you run a two seventeen fourteen, um, and you you qualify. Was that your first crack at it? And and if so, did you have a feeling that day that like this is going to be the one? I, I I am where I need to be to to be able to go sub two eighteen. That was my first attempt at it. I had a lot of confidence going into the race, obviously, from the half marathon in Columbus. Um, I went out pretty fast, and um, I had to intentionally slow myself down at the 10K and say, Jason, you're being stupid. Slow down. The standard is 218, not 215. I I think (laughs) my first 5K, I was like on 215 pace. And um, so had I not slowed myself down then I don't know if I would have qualified now a lot of people that have not run CIM or are not familiar with CIM they'll kind of poo-poo it like oh yeah of course you ran your PR there it's a downhill course but it is a fast course but there are rolling hills the first 20 miles like rolling hill after rolling hill which I didn't know and so I actually cussed out loud in the middle of the race I was like I thought this was a downhill course (laughs) <laughs> now, now you do in the last 10k you do get a nice gradual downhill last 10k which is which is perfect but yeah those first 16 20 miles are brutal man so and if you take those downhills too aggressively your quads are going to be wrecked and the second half of your race is going to be wrecked and so i think it's a combination of things that makes cim fast um the weather's always great the competition's yeah. always there Yes, the course is fast, but I, I think um, people kind of discredit it and kind of think it's a cheap PR, and it's not. Go go run it, and you'll see for yourself. What's the energy like? Because uh, obviously the window at that point is open, so you know anyone that's at your level um, on the men's side, anyone that's in that level on the women's side, like we 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 know why you're going there. What's it like when you get to the start line of that race where you know there's this pressure, but excitement and nervousness? What does that feel like? Yeah, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. So I haven't actually – I, you know what? I have crunched the numbers, and I believe CIM, as far as a uh, marathon – wow. As far as American marathons go, I think CIM has the most competitive depth. I think it will have more runners under 230, more runners under 220 than Boston and Chicago and New York. So – um yeah, I I think I finished maybe thirty third in the race. So, so that's wild. Like you qualify to the trials, and you finish thirty third. So, so in my local community, you know, people that aren't really familiar with the with the running scene, they'll be like, "Oh, well, you got first place in the Air Force Marathon. Oh, but I saw you got thirty third at CIM. <laughs> what happened? Like." No, this is like the most competitive race in the United States as far as uh, depth. So, yeah, it was it was wild just being surrounded by so many talented runners. Um, I had someone I had a pack to run with literally the entire race, you know, five, ten guys working together. And um, like I said, I went out too fast. So I had to intentionally slow down while I slowed down a little bit. I got a new group to work with. So, yeah, it was it was a great race experience to have so many bodies there um, propelling you to do your best and stay on pace. I don't mean for this to be a flippant question, but why, why now in hindsight do you think that that's the fastest you've ever run a marathon? Because 
that's the only marathon that I've truly attempted to run fast mm. because the marathons since then, I've only cared about one thing and that's winning. So the Toledo glass city marathon is a, is a regional marathon. It, it's competitive. Um, in 2023, when I won it, it turns out that four guys from that race, me being one of those four ran at the trials. Um, and so you, you don't, but you don't have the competitive depth that you have at CIM. Now Toledo is a flat course, but it has a fair amount of turns. And so my, I, I already had the standard. And so I, I didn't really care about chasing a PR. I just wanted to, to race that and win that. And then I decided to run the Cincinnati flying pig marathon two weeks later. Well, you're not gonna You're not going to run a PR at the pig, even if you're fresh let alone Plus the out. weather was wild last year, right? I had a friend who ran that and it was crazy out there. It was a monsoon. We were, we were trudging <laughs> through like six, six inches of water. Um, there was a shelter in place warning um, yes. in the middle of the race where they, they told runners, Hey, it's not safe to be running on the roads. Get off the course, seek shelter. Now, of course, none of the top runners did that. I never felt like um, I never felt unsafe at all, but yeah, it was lightning during the race. It was pouring rain a majority of the race. We were sloshing through puddles in certain sections of the course. It was brutal out there. And then um, I ran Air Force Marathon as kind of a tune-up for Columbus. That's not a fast course. You're running over potholes the entire time, it feels like. And then Columbus was a really windy day. There were a lot of fast guys in the race. Columbus has a stretch where you're running straight for like seven or eight miles but we were running seven or eight miles straight into a headwind, which was, which, which was no good. The guy that won, he's a sub 14, five K guy and he didn't even break two eighteen. So, um, the guy that finished third is like a two twelve guy. He didn't break two eighteen, So that just wasn't a fast day. So yeah, CIM was my fastest marathon because that's the marathon where I was chasing the standard. Do you think you can go faster this spring? I don't think that Toledo course will allow for that and certainly not the Cincinnati flying pig and certainly not Cleveland. Um, so I have the course record for Toledo. So my goal will be to better the course record and, and try to go under 220. I think awesome. it, it, it's just so hard to compare times on different courses because all the courses are so different and then the weather just throws a wrench into everything. So going all the way back now, because it's funny, we, we haven't even talked about you growing up. What what was it that inspired you to run, you know, all the way back at the beginning? I feel like 90% of runners have the exact same story. We all sucked at the other sports. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I started running because uh, I was wanting to play football, and I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to play football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, I like to think that I was good at other sports, so my mom's a phys ed and health teacher and, and my dad coached me a lot growing up. So I did play travel baseball and travel basketball, so, you know, select level traveling around the, the entire state. Um, but I stopped growing in seventh grade. So I'm a pretty small guy. I'm five foot eight. I stopped growing in seventh grade and I was still good enough to be on the high school rosters, but I would have sat the bench the entire season so I just thought my time was better served with with running. And and like a lot of runners, we find out about our talent and gym class when we have to run the the mile time yes. trial. We beat everybody. So, hey, I'll give this cross-country and track thing a shot. 
So did you did you find that you had early success then in, in track and cross country? I did, yes. Um, and yes, in eighth grade, I don't know exactly how many. I, in eighth grade, I feel like I went undefeated until the state meet. Um, and then I was pretty cocky as an eighth grader. So yeah? I was like, I got a bunch of talent. Nobody can touch me. <laughs> nobody, Yeah, nobody can come close. And so I didn't train much in the summer before my freshman year of high school. And I had a bad freshman year of high school. I'm glad. I'm glad that that freshman year humbled me. You needed um, that that year? I, I needed that because, yeah, I, I was not a hard worker in junior high. I was not a hard worker my freshman year. And that set me straight. And that told me, hey, that made me come to the realization that if you want to excel in the sport, you have to put in the work. Now, natural talent is always going to be part of athletics it's always going to be part of sports, no matter what the sport is. But I do like to think, especially at the marathon level, that natural talent, and this is maybe a hot take, but I feel like in long distance running, natural talent plays less of a factor than in other sports. It's still a factor. It's still a factor. It's still part of the sport. But you're not going to reach the highest of levels unless you're running 100 plus miles a week. It's just not going to happen. And I'm talking at the marathon level. So how did you go from then not really doing anything the summer before your freshman year to, you know, you talked a lot, especially early in the, the, the pod about just that internal drive that you had. Like, did that show up fairly quickly or was that something later in life for you? It, it showed up quickly. I had really good mentors, uh, really good coaches growing up that sat me down and said, Jason, you got talent, you got potential, you can really go places. But you need this is what you need to focus on. This is what you need to do. This is the mindset that you need to have. And so, yeah, starting my sophomore year, I I was doing everything that I should have been doing. So I do feel like I reached my potential in high school. Um, yeah, it was just that freshman year that was a bad year. But my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I was was all in on running, and I was all in on running. Ah. I tried hard in college, but again, I, I just started getting injured. I, I never really got injured in high school and then I started getting injured in college. And then, like I said earlier, I was kind of afraid of experimenting with, with high mileage. And so I kind of stayed in that 60 to 70 mile range um, and was able to achieve some level of success. Um, I like to brag about this. I beat Clayton Murphy twice in cross country, Clayton Murphy, 2016 bronze uh, medalist at the Olympics. Um, I beat him. I like to say I beat him in the eight. I don't say, I don't specify eight, what that means. <laughs> I beat him in the 8K, not the 800, which was his specialty. <laughs> I also usually leave out the fact that I was a fifth year senior and he was a true freshman, but I beat him twice. Um, but yeah, I didn't come anywhere near my potential in college. And so, um, that spark came back um, later. Later, that's okay. That's so interesting because you know I I found your your page because you ran at Bowling Green and you know I've I've I, I do play by play so I've been to a million bio pages. I, I kind of always am knowing exactly what to look like. Well, I mean the first thing that jumps out is your last year. It mentions what happened and that you were the first runner um, at Bowling Green to earn a first team All Mac since 1995. So it's very interesting hearing how you are talking about it. And, and obviously I can tell that it's 
the internal standards that you held yourself to versus the external standards that someone like me would see and say, wow, first team all Mac first time in, let's see, that was six or 13. So in 18 years, I was going to ask that had to mean a whole lot to you, but it seems like, you know, it was just some, I don't know. What was, what was that for you? It did mean a lot to be the first all conference runner at our school in close to two decades. It did mean a lot there, but I felt like I, I felt like, that was something that I was very much capable of doing. It wasn't like a stretch or a lofty goal. It was something that I could do. If I worked hard, I could accomplish that. Now I didn't go to Bowling Green for running. I went, you know, there's so many different reasons why you choose to go to a a certain university. Uh, Bowling Green is not known for their running. Obviously I I like to tell this story. So um, my freshman year at Bowling Green, our team got last in the conference and then my sophomore year, our team also got last. But my junior year, our team got last. And then, oh, but my senior year or my fourth year, we got last. But fifth year, we got last. So, yeah, <laughs> we got last every single year I was there. Now, that's not because the guys there aren't trying hard. I, I My best friends are from college. Those guys worked hard. We were just a one scholarship team. We literally had one full ride to divvy up. And so we were competing against. How many runners did you have to divide that up between? (coughs) Two. I I was Uh, on a half ride scholarship. So um, the rest of the team had half a scholarship to work with. So, you know, the guys that went there were guys that were really passionate about running and wanted to keep running and wanted to, you know, continue bettering themselves. But we were really a Division three school competing in Division one. Interesting. Do you have any regrets about how you approached it in in college? I mean, especially given what you've been able to do the last few years and those fears of high mileage, I guess, being overcome. Do you have any regrets or are you kind of happy that it played out the way it did because it led to whatever happened after that? I do regret it. I didn't take injury prevention seriously. You know, I thought I I was invincible. Hey, I'm a 20, 21, 22-year-old guy. I'm not going to get hurt. I don't need to do this uh, injury prevention stuff. And, and actually, even when I did get injured, um, you know, I I had athletic trainers and physical therapists showing me things that I could do to to strengthen myself. But I I didn't really buy into all of that. I've kind of developed the mindset that getting injured was just kind of a fluke, or it was just kind of a, you know a randomness. And I didn't think that doing all of these exercises and drills would really amount to anything. I thought it was just a waste of time, to be frank. So, yeah, I, I regret not taking injury prevention seriously in college. I, you know, I, I would have run a lot faster. So I've obviously run in college in the 5K on the track. I ran 14.42. But then at the age – so, I, yeah, I ran 14.42 at the age of 22. And then at the age of 32, a decade later, I ran 14.20. So I bettered my 5K PR by 22 seconds. But if I had the same work ethic that I have now, if I would have had that work ethic when I was 22, I think maybe i break 14. Maybe. So yeah, I do regret that. What, where, why do you think the work ethic changed now versus then? I feel like uh, again, I I cha- I was a teacher. I was a high school and middle school teacher. That profession wasn't for me. 
And then again, most of my twenties, I was focused on getting situated in life professionally. And I lucked out a little bit and had a 100% work from home job. And that just opened up my world. You know, I had so much extra time on my hands. I was done with school. I was working from home. I didn't have to make these commutes. And so I was like, man, I'm bored. I got to do something with my time. I'm going stir crazy here. So I think (laughs) that work-life balance that I have just allowed me to want to go all in 100%. Do you, do you, and this, I guess, goes a little bit back to the early part of the conversation, but do you feel like the balance is where you'd like it to be right now? Or I guess it's tipped a little far into the, the running perspective. And I know you mentioned, you know, looking past 2024. So how would you describe that work-life balance right now? And I guess work-run life balance, maybe three tiers, if you will. Yeah, I, I still have a work-from-home job. Um, and so, yeah, I still have more time in my day than other people. Like, I, I don't have any kids. You know, maybe maybe I'll have kids in the future, but I currently don't have any kids. I work from home. So I have more time available than other people do. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, even though I have more time available, I spend that time running and and trying to better myself and do all this injury prevention stuff. And so outside of that, I, I just sit around and do nothing. And so, you know, I, I, there is certainly guilt there with not spending as much quality time with my wife and my family and my friends and they understand and they get it. And I try to be there. Um, and so when I'm done running this level, I am looking forward to spending more quality time with everyone and being more present, being available. And, um, but yeah, so that, that, that's hard, but if you're really passionate about something, you have to go for it and you can't be ashamed of going after your dreams. What do you think you're going to miss most about this when, when you get to 2025 and things change in a big way for you and you're not, you're not going after things competitively anymore. What, what are you going to miss the most? Uh, the camaraderie of running with people. I mean, it, you know, I'll still, I'm not quitting running. Let, let, let me yeah. get that straight. I'm not quitting running. I, you know, being physically active is always going to be an important part of my life. But when you're running 20 mile plus two hour plus long runs with guys, those are so much fun because you talk about, that's a long time to spend with someone. So, you know, you'll know this. You talk about anything and everything. You have debates. You talk about random things. You you yep. joke around with one another. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll miss that. I'll miss the competitive aspect of it. I, I'm very competitive. I enjoy, um, you know, racing against other men that are you know, equally talented or slightly more talented than I am. Um, but I'll still very much be part of the sport. I am a cross-country and track high school coach. And so actually I'm coaching currently one of the top sophomore runners in the nation. Um, he, yeah, he's ranked in the top five in the nation in the two mile oh, wow. 5k. And so I'm coaching him. I'm his training partner. And, and so coaching and giving back to the sport will still allow me to stay linked to uh, the community. How have you found yourself, um, responding to being a coach what has that been like for you what have, what have you learned as you have gotten into this over the last handful of years yeah i'll admit 
Um, so our high school cross country roster, boys and girls combined, I don't have the exact number, but maybe it's somewhere around 60 to 70 runners. Um, what I, I don't do well, this is something I need to do better at. I don't do extremely well interacting with JV runners. And I, I know that sounds super elitist, but the, the thing is for me, there's so many different motivations for running, especially at the high school level. Some high schoolers are just there for the gym credit because they have to get a gym credit. Some high school kids are there because they got cut for another sport. Some high school kids are there just because their parents are forcing them to do something. Yeah. Um, some, some runners are there just because their friends doing it. And I, you know, I see a lot of runners that don't really care about doing their best. I see a lot of runners trying to hide on their normal runs. So, you know, we do, we do force them to run a lot of the bike paths so we can monitor them. But yeah, every once in a while we'll have a, a free run where you can run wherever every single time we find them walking, we find them hiding. And so like, I think I would be really well suited to be a college coach. Um, you know, having a roster of 10 to 15 people that are locked in and committed to doing the best that they're capable of doing. And so at the high school level, um, you know, some of the conversations that they have on long runs, like it's kind of cringy and I I don't (laughs) always enjoy that, but I, I do enjoy running and coaching the guys that take it seriously. Yeah, I guess the the thing that is so interesting to me and that I thought you when you first started saying what you did, I thought you were going to say like, yeah, I just I don't understand the younger generation because I feel like that's how I feel about everything right now. Yeah, because we're the similar age. I'm 35. You're 33. Yeah. And it's just like, man, you get old fast is is kind of the lesson that I've learned over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, I I think I'm just old. (laughs) I, I don't think I understand the younger generation that there's definitely that's definitely part of it for sure. Uh, let me ask you one more running kind of big picture one. Um, 2028 rolls around or 2026, 2027. Essentially what I'm asking about is the trials. Mm-hmm. It's, do you feel like there's going to be a pull at all? Or do you, do you think you're going to be able to stick to this 2024 being kind of the last hurrah? So the 28 for the 2028 trials, the qualifying window, I believe would start in 2026. So well, well, I'll first have to see how these spring marathons go. I'll have, mm-hmm. I'll have to see how this fall marathon goes. And if those marathons go well, I think that increases the probability that maybe I see what I can do um, in 2026. So hopefully 2024 goes really well. I think because even if I run like a, a 216 in 2025 – that won't qualify me the trials because again the window, the window hasn't opened yet. So I probably will maybe relax a little bit more in 2025. You know, maybe let, let, let's say let's assume I do really well in 2024, and I think I still have some juice left in me. I'll cut it back still in 2025, especially in the early to mid part of the year, and then I might ramp it up in the fall of 2025 and try to do like the Houston marathon right when that qualifying window opens up, give myself one opportunity to go for it. And yeah, that, I, that would be the only circumstance or scenario in which I w- could envision myself maybe, maybe taking another stab at it. Yeah. What's your favorite part about running? 
I the the camaraderie the camaraderie with um if you go on a two hour long run like that's like going out to the bars on a Friday night like it, it's just as fun it's just as enjoyable um and so that's what I that's what I love most about running I like the camaraderie of it of it and I like just pushing your body to its potential um that's what I like. So I finish every podcast by asking my guest about what they're chasing. It could be a literal time goal. It could be qualifying for something, or it could just be a feeling. Jason Salyer, what are you chasing? I'm chasing for a spring marathon victory. I love it. Jason Salyer, thanks for joining me today on Chasing Three Hours. Thank you. Thanks again to Jason Salyer for joining me on today's episode. Thanks to Ian Alio for production assistance, as well as music and sound design. Thanks to Riss for the cover art. Head to Chasing3Hours.com for more from me as I write about my experience training for the 2024 Eugene Marathon. Know anyone that would be a great fit for the pod or just want to drop me a note? Email me at Chasing3Hours at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and maybe share with a friend as well. New episodes will drop on Friday mornings. Enjoy your long run this weekend. Enjoy your long run this weekend.